It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The, the, the winds of change are blowing through Raider Nation, and Silver and Black Today keeps you up to date with the latest news and views about your Las Vegas Raiders. Touchdown, Las Vegas! With insight, opinions, and interviews, we're on the cutting edge of what's happening now. Now, now, with the latest on your Raiders and the NFL, your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moten. Welcome back. It is time for another episode of Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast also heard on The Bet in Las Vegas. So hello to our audience on the radio in Las Vegas. Thanks for being with us. I say us. I am Scott Cobranson, your host, joined by my co-host, Mr. Mo Moten. He is the senior NFL writer over at Bleacher Report, also Raiders columnist at sportsnot.com. Man, we got a busy show today, Mo. Uh, training camp rolls on. We got Baldy coming up right here in this first segment. We're not kidding around today, my friend. No, we got quarterback talk. We got Baldy training camp talk. Of course, we have Raider talk. We're in the full swing of things. We're not just creeping up on it. We're we're in the mix. We're in the midst of it. So, Raider roll. Yes, again, Brian Baldinger is our guest, and we are talking Raiders football with him. So, Brian, the last time we spoke with you was right before the NFL draft. We kind of outlined, and you helped us do that, all of the needs the Raiders had, and we knew they weren't going to address all of them in one draft because of what had happened the previous three drafts, right? But but they did do some good things here. They went out, they got Tyree Wilson to, to address some of that defensive front need that they have now he was injured. They knew that going in, so it's going to take him a while to ease in. They get Michael Mayer uh, in the second round, a good steal for them at tight end. But tell us your view overall, this Raiders team coming off the offseason where we outlined with you what they needed. How did they do, and where do they sit in that process of really rebuilding that roster to compete in what is a stacked AFC West and what is going to be an absolutely brutal, I think, because the talent-wise, AFC overall? Well, everybody's looking up at Kansas City, and they just happen to be in your division. So, I mean, how do you compete within your own division? We all feel that the Chargers are going to be better, although they always seem to be full of excuses. Um, <laughs> some of the best games I've watched the Raider Charger games, um, they're very, very competitive. We all believe Denver is going to be better with the coach that they have, um, no matter what he has to say about the former coach. So... Um, so then you go, okay, well, where are the Raiders? Um, look, if you miss on a player like Cleveland Farrell, the mistake never goes away. Mm. You overpay, uh, you know, for a defensive end in, in free agency. You go back into the draft at the top of the draft, and you go draft another one. Those mistakes haunt you for a long time. And Cleveland Farrell, I mean, the good thing is they drafted Max Crosby in the same draft. And so they got their star player. They just found him in the fourth round, not the fourth pick of the first round. But the mistake never goes away. And they, so they they haven't been able to put together an elite defensive line. I thought, you know, they re-signed the right side of their offensive line. And those guys played pretty good last year. 
And so I think they feel pretty comfortable. Now, the probably their best player, Josh Jacobs, isn't there. We all know the situation. I don't know what's going to how it's going to get resolved. I think they had a chance to lock him up, and they they neglected not to. But they don't have anybody that can take his place. They've got guys on the roster. We'll see what Zamir White can look like. But they don't have anybody that can look like that. And it seems like they've spent a lot of resources trying to upgrade their secondary, which they desperately had to do. But, you know, defenses – and Patrick Graham, I think, is a quality defensive coordinator. But, I mean, for, I don't know, the 10th year in a row, they, they try to find new linebackers that can play. Maybe Denzel Perriman comes back and regains his form. But they're always looking for linebackers. They're always looking for, for corners and – so we'll see if they can ever just put a group together that you can count on and rely on and that can gel together as the season goes on. Now, Bolly, I saw you at Pittsburgh Steelers camp learning some pass rushing moves from Cam Hayward and TJ Y. We need to get you and the Condor Max Crosby <laughs> together on the field to do the oh, same absolutely. thing. We, you know, that's coming. That's definitely going to come for sure. But you did mention Josh Jacobs, and and we're not going to ask you to to predict what's going to happen because only Josh Jacobs knows what the next step is for him. But what one of the things I thought was important to note was Jimmy Garoppolo had a defense and he had a run game in San Francisco. No one draws up a run play like Kyle Shanahan. He does it with consistency. As you said, the Raiders are working on their defense, and I thought not locking up Josh Jacobs kind of hurts Jimmy Garoppolo because. Bucky Brooks uses a, a trailers versus tractors analogy on NFL Network, and he says, you know, there are very few guys who can carry a football team, and I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is that. He needs that. He needs a defense, and he needs a run game. Uh, most quarterbacks do need some supporting system, but Jimmy Garoppolo is just not that guy's going to bring you back 14 down, in my opinion. Do you think that when it's all said and done, the Raiders think about it and say, look, we got Jimmy Garoppolo. We know what he is. We need to have Josh Jacobs back. How much does Josh Jacobs' absence affect Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, I think they go hand in hand, Mo. Um, look, when Jimmy was quarterback in San Francisco, Mike McDaniel was the run game coordinator. He's now a head coach. Like, you know, I mean, just the history. I'm not going to get carried away, but Mike McDaniel wanted to separate himself from Kyle and Sean McVay and all those guys were in Washington, and they were all on the passing game. Mike said, I'm going to show you how to, to run the ball, and I'll show you the running backs that can run it. So Jimmy could hand it off to Raheem Mostert. I mean, on and on and on. The guys that went through there, they you're right, Mo. I mean, this it, it made things a lot easier that they had a guy that was quasi-genius in the run game, like could really rack up rushing yards. And, you know, I mean, there was a playoff game, I think, Jimmy against the Minnesota Vikings. I don't know if he threw it nine or ten times. So, I mean, it was, wasn't very many. But um, – and they had a big win. This, this is an important ingredient. This is really important. I mean, Jimmy is – he's a good quarterback. He's smart. He knows where to go with the ball. He's a good practice guy. He's a good team guy. All that stuff is right. But, man, it's a, it's a whole lot easier if you can hand it off to Josh Jacobs on third and three and not have to get Devontae free when they know it's going to him. He's, he's important. they got to get him in there. No question. All right, Baldy, let me ask you this. So you look at this team, you look at what they've done on offense. We just talked about Josh Jacobs and that situation and how it affects uh, Jimmy G. Uh, you also have, you said, Devontae Adams there. You have now Michael Mayer. You have Hunter Renfro, who we have said, who knows, he might be somebody they move out or not with Jacoby Myers in there. They, they, they filled a lot of slot spots all of a sudden in Las Vegas. But you look at that offense and you got a lot of guys who are going to want the ball. Uh, you got a lot of guys who uh, 
are going to be counting on uh, that offensive line to give Jimmy G, who's much more of a stationary quarterback, uh, time to throw the ball. How how quickly do you think that that offense is going to have to get in shape, knowing that the defense is a work in progress, especially with Tyree Wilson probably a few weeks into the season before he can be really effective? Well, they got to be better than they were last year. They got to be better on offense. They got to score more. And down the stretch, when they were in a playoff, you know, hunt still, they went to Pittsburgh. They put up 10 points. I mean, it was terrible. It was hard to watch. And so, even with Devontae putting up 1,500 yards, I mean, they were shut out in New Orleans. Um, they, they were, you know, they were highly unproductive a lot of Sundays last year. And so, look, every team has this battle with, okay, we got all these guys. They all want to get fed. Oh, it's a bunch of nonsense. You know, you got to have the right guys. I mean, Devontae should get targeted a lot. Yeah, he should get 12 to 15 targets a game. He's that good, and he knows how to beat. And when he's – you know, in that loss to Tennessee last year, I remember Devontae like – I mean, he, he he was so upset that the ball wasn't coming to him in key moments in that game that they could have won. Um, like, it, it, it bothered him all week. Like, I don't think Hunter Renfro is going to be ticked off in a huddle if – the ball goes to Devontae at, on third and three at the three-yard line. I don't think anybody's going to be upset. Michael Mayer, um, I don't care who what their name is, Jacoby Myers. Like, these guys are secondary players to the star wide receiver. So if it takes feeding the star wide receiver to put up 28 points, then do it. Um, everybody else's egos better be in check. So, Baldy, the Raiders picked up Marcus Peters, and then we'll flip back over to the defensive side of the ball. And, okay, he had a down year last year with the Ravens, but we all know his history, his tr- his track record of forcing turnovers. Now, with Tyree Wilson out, Byron Young, one of their young guys from the Rick class, out, Chandler Jones slimmed down. You're hoping he bounces back into form and has a pretty decent season. Is adding Marcus Peters really changed things for you when you look at the Raiders' defense, or is it just kind of like another – veteran depth piece for that for that unit i don't want to say marcus peter's days of being the ultimate thief are over because i used to call him the kansas city thief because that's what he was doing i mean his first game in the nfl i mean he had two interceptions against houston i mean i i remember you know going to watch him like he has i remember picking you know him picking russell wilson before pick six in baltimore i mean i remember those plays vividly like he's got an instinct that you love to have. He's a zone corner. He's he's got zone eyes. Um, don't ask me to go play press man. That's not what he does. But he's he's a great zone corner. But you know the the production has dropped off. Well, and so I don't know if in a new place he's going to find it. Um, you know the pass rush last year in Baltimore and even the year before was largely um, was largely. Uh, scheme designed. It was blitzes. It was, you know, overloads. It, <clears throat> they didn't have four that could just get there and turn up the heat. Uh, and I don't know that the Raiders have that right now. I don't know when Tyree's going to be ready to go. And even if he, when he does get ready to go, I feel like if you're missing this time as a rookie, I don't care what position it is, like it turns into a red shirt year. Like there's just too much to learn. The game is too different from the Big 12 offenses he saw versus what he's going to see. I mean, everybody is in love with his metrics and his length. and I mean, all that's great. I'd be surprised if, like, he's an impact player this year just because mm-hmm. of the amount of time and practices and walkthroughs and all this stuff that he's missing. 
right now, trying to learn what NFL – I mean, good luck, you know, going up against Patrick Mahomes, you know, when you get – like just – or Justin Herbert and these guys that are just magicians with the ball in their hands and how difficult they are to sack. They're, it's it's not easy. Yeah, no question. Baldy, let me ask you this before we let you go. You talk, you mentioned Cleve Farrell and how you can't recover. I mean, the, the, the bad drafts that the Raiders had with all of that draft capital, which makes it even worse – they're, they're moving forward. Obviously, a different regime there now. Dave Ziegler, of course, Josh McDaniels at coach. They now had – they've gone through their second draft. How much progress – I mean, look, it looks like the owner, Mark Davis, is giving Josh McDaniels a gimme year this year, again, to say, hey, look, you got a new quarterback, you got all this stuff – but when you look at the NFL, it's not college. You know, you don't get three or four recruiting classes like some new uh, college football coaches get when they get a new job. NFL is give me results and give me results quickly. How much patience do you think, Mark Davis, how much patience is going to be given Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels? If this team comes out and really performs poorly, all bets are off. But what, what's your view on how much time they have to start turning it in the right direction? Well, I, I would hope that they don't feel like they have much time. I mean, you you better feel like your backs are against the wall. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles won four games three years ago. Nick Sirianni had him in the in the you know in the Super Bowl. Like this stuff can get turned around. Brian Dable took a just uh you know in a borrow like just a horrible situation in New York. You got him in the playoffs. Like coaching matters. You know, your GM and coach together joined at the hip matters. It doesn't matter what they did in New England. It has nothing to do with whatever success they had in New England or how it got done or who got the credit. It got done. Like, I wouldn't be patient. Not when you're seeing what you just watched the year that Pete Carroll just had. And we know what the vision he has for how to build a team and what it takes to win in this league. Like, there's coaching matters in this business. Mm -hmm. And – I don't care if you're on your second stop. I don't care, like, about injuries. Nobody cares about any of that. Brandon Staley's on a hot seat. He's been given everything you could want as a head coach. And, you know, they collapsed up 27 nothing. Like, they should feel like they're in the griddle right now. And the flame is hot. Absolutely. Well said. Baldy, we appreciate you coming on as always. Enjoy your tour of the training camps. And I know we'll catch up with you uh, during the course. Life of the is season. good, guys. I can't wait to get to Baltimore <laughs> today, man. I'm 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 all juiced up. <laughs> I love it, Baldy. Thanks, man. Friend, uh, safe travels yeah. okay, too. Okay, guys. All right, there you go, Brian Baldinger, our guest. Always uh, a good time, Mo. Always uh, we we get smarter when Baldy's on too, because he's always got uh, some nuggets for us. And I love what he said there about the end. You know, we've talked about patience, patience, and Baldy's saying no. Look, and he uses the example of Sirianni. He used the example of Dable. Um, it's hard to argue with that, isn't it? Right. I, I've always said I think that Dave Ziggler and Joshua Daniels are going to get another year. Doesn't mean I don't think they should feel the pressure. Of course Correct. they should. You should always right. feel pressure to win. But I just don't feel like Mark Davis has that same urgency that Baldy just exhibited a few minutes ago. I just think Mark Davis feels like, okay, we're in a rebuilding period. I don't feel like going through another head coaching general manager pair, you know, for the third time in, in what, three, four years. So you guys have it this year, build your, build a roster and your vision. We'll see where we come out. We hope to be better, but if we're not, if we, if, if it doesn't show in a win column, I'm hoping to see at least some progress. This is what I feel like Mark Davis is thinking in his head. 
Yeah. Uh, amazing. And so we'll, uh, we'll see how it all goes. But I, as we've talked about many times, even, even though they have this year, so to speak, or at least that's the understanding, if things go really bad, the first person who's going to go is the coach. So we'll see how it goes. And, and as Baldy said, man, coaches can turn things around quickly. Coaching matters. So even if you don't have the best roster, you can get a lot more out of those guys if they want to play for you and they want to give you the effort and you start to get a team culture together that believes in itself. That can make a huge difference. So we'll see how that all runs. Whenever we have Baldy on again, I need to ask him, has he ever been in a locker room where he just can tell a, a certain mm. head coach just wasn't a head coach, it was more of a coordinator type or yeah. position coach type? I should have asked him when he was on. But that's been the conversation around Josh McDaniels. Maybe he's just a good offensive coordinator and not a, a leader of men, as a lot of rare fans have said. Not a leader of men, can drop the X's and O's, but cannot, hand, cannot manage personnel to its maximum and cannot lead men in on on the battlefield, so to speak, not a battlefield, but the football field and gridiron and leave that team to wins. We'll see if that pans out and that changes this year. He's got a lot to prove, but there's a lot on his shoulders, whether to raise on a rebuilding period or not. There you go. All right. We're going to take our first break here. So don't go anywhere. We'll come back. You're listening to silver and black today. Not Odyssey original podcast. Also shout out to our listeners on the bet in Las Vegas. Don't go anymore. More Raiders content coming up right after the break. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back. It is Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast, also heard on the air in Las Vegas, of course, on The Bet. So if you're listening to us on the radio station, thanks for being with us. For our podcast listeners, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already done so. Mo's getting a little upset at you guys that don't subscribe. And he turns into his alter ego of Midtown Mo. And I, I, I just, I can't be responsible for what happens if you don't subscribe to the show. Mo, are you okay? I'm just saying we we need those subscriptions. No no excuses. If you're stopping in, if you're listening to the show anywhere you're listening to it, we need those descri- those subscriptions because the algorithm, as you know what it is, got to fight the algorithm. So oh yeah, subscribe yes. please. So I, I just pre- ask please with it. Please. Yes, please or he'll be he'll be on the street eating cheesecake. Not cheesecake with mint ice cream on I'll the, be side. On the street. But anyway. Oh, those food takes. All right. So we are back and we are going to be talking more about Jimmy Garoppolo. Of course, we've been talking about him since his signing back in March, the addendum, all the drama around that, some of it faux drama. But anyway, it's been there. And so we're going to talk to him. So we figure, you know what? We got to go to a guy who knows Jimmy Garoppolo well, covered him, comes from a place of authority. And that is our guest right now. That is Jose Sanchez, the third 
He is the third. Deputy, the third. Yes, mm -hmm. the third. And by by the third Emphasis one, right? They on perfect that. it, right, Jose? Yeah, third time's a charm too, right? <laughs> That's right. So we appreciate that. But I love that. Uh, that means family's important to you. I love the third on the end of that. It's great. By the way, Jose is the deputy editor over at SI.com, the All 49ers Fan Nation site where you can check out his work as well. All right, Jose. So, of course, you know, you know about what we call around here. And I think we coined the phrase, Mo. I, I, we don't get very egotistical here very too very often. But we coined, I think, the car wars thing. It might have been Mo. It might have been me. I think it was Mo. But anyway, so the car wars. Derek Carr, the last four years, you know, you've seen that story. Uh, but then Jimmy Garoppolo rolls into Vegas, uh, and then we find out he's got to have surgery and so on. But with Jimmy Garoppolo, one of the things you said, you spoke to our good friend Mario Tovar over at Raider Ramble, and you said, quote, that uh, you being around him said, quote, he's a dude just chilling, minding his business and drinking a beer at the bar. That's the kind of that's the kind of mood you get from Jimmy G. So talk to us a little bit. We're going to start at the very high level before we get to the football stuff. But talk to us about being around Jimmy Garoppolo and maybe what his his uh, demeanor, what his attitude brings to a locker room and to a team. Yeah, I think if you go back and you find the most common theme of every 49ers player I said about him throughout the years is no matter what, leader, teammate, a guy, like a good friend and stuff like that. Although the one part about the good friend that they hated was he doesn't know how to text back, but at least he's kind of <laughs> fair with that in terms of everyone. So aside from that, that's always the number one point that every player on the 49ers said, George Kittle, Trent Williams, Debo Samuel, all these players, coaches, great leader. Kyle Juszczyk, you know, great guy. And that's the one thing they always loved. And I think that's what kind of made a little bit last year's play with the 49ers a little risky because they're already trying to transition to Trey Lance. Meanwhile, you got their best friend sitting behind them who they know he can win with. So that just tells you, like, how much there is, like, there's love there that even though the on-field product wasn't, you know, great, <laughs> it was still enough for them to be like, you know, we like this guy. We know we're, we know he can win with them. And, you know, ultimately it just, it just kind of simplifies that. And so – yeah, with my comments about that, just the vibe of being there, because I've been covering the Niners since 2019. I was there on site throughout that whole year, the Super Bowl run. And ever since then, it's kind of like hit or miss that I'm there. But the point is, like, that whole year when I think things were at its peak with him, he he just he, – he, it wasn't ever about him. He just was just a guy just there just to do his job, like kind of minding his business, being friends. Um, he just gives you that guy. Like, like I, and I say that coming because, like, I could literally picture him. Like, he's just there, like, just drinking, like, a beer at, at, at a bar, just chilling, just, like, kicking back friends, just, like, you know, shooting it around. And then I, 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 he just gives, like, the ultimate, like, yeah, he's a cool dude to go kick it with. And that's the vibe that we're getting at training camp. Uh, Max Crosby called him a dog. I don't know if you would classify him as a dog. You've been around him. <laughs> you nod your head no yesterday. No. But um, just go back to – I just want – you mentioned Trey Lance. I just want to go back to – that decision that the 49ers made to trade draft picks to the Dolphins to move up for Trey Lance, what went into that decision? Was it about Jimmy just not doing enough? Because I will say I remember Trey Lance's first offseason, and two things that stood out to me was a lot of writers and reporters said, but Trey Lance, he has the mobility factor, of course, and can also stretch the field. Now, you can add on to that, or you can say I'm off base on that. What went into that decision to go after Trey Lance or just go after another quarterback and move on from Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, first and foremost, this is injury history. You you had to turn the pay with Jimmy. And that 2020 campaign was, you know, the last straw for the 49ers because even though that year is very synonymous with the 49ers about how they lost so many players to injuries, 
if they had just competent quarterback play, they could have overcome Nick Bosa being out, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, all these Raheem Mostert. They could have overcome it if they just had court, competent quarterback play for the season. And since he, you know, is always getting hurt, it's like, you know, we're done with this. I, I'm sick and tired of this. Let's try to move on. And so that's the first move why I stepped into it. And then the second one, I think Kyle Shanahan wanted to step out of what he's known to be as the quarterback staying on schedule like hey just run my system don't worry about doing too much because that's the one thing that why he thrives so well at why the quarterbacks like a Brock Purdy and like Kirk Cousins have done under him um and so Trey Lance was a stepping was stepping a little bit out uh out of bounds of what he's used to in terms of big arm he's mobile um it's it's more about the he, he was raw right he was raw but it was more about because he has a physical and tangible he had he was more gifted and so you would hope that would raise the ceiling and what he can call and what he could do in the offense so it's number one Jimmy's availability, which is always going to be an issue no matter what. And two, getting someone who, you know, isn't limited like Jimmy because Jimmy can't move. Jimmy doesn't have an arm. He doesn't try to throw. And it's like, what is he really even processing? Sometimes there's times where it's like, does he guy does he even know what he's reading? And it kind of felt like inconsistent on that point. So I think from that standpoint, you're looking at Kyle's like, I want someone to be healthy. I want someone who can uplift the offense and someone who could probably, you know, run my system without, you know, being too much of a brain freeze on his end. So, Jose, let me ask you this question. Uh, you, you talk about, obviously, you can't talk about Jimmy G and not talk about injuries. I mean, you just spent the whole time in, in talking about how the 49ers decided to move on. But there's guys who get injured, uh, and let's just say that they might be considered guys that just can't play through pain. They get nicked up. And then there's guys who just have bad luck and get it. Where is, is Jimmy G in the middle of that? Is he one or the other? What's your take on his injury history there? Is it just bad luck? Or is there something more there? I, yeah, I think it's I think it's bad luck. Like you look about at back at 2018 when he was playing against the Chiefs. You know, he instead of him getting out of bounds, he's like, let me go ahead and run the extra two to three yards, and then it just happened to be you know just a bad hit on his knee. And then 2019, you know, you finally get a year where he's healthy. 2020, he had multiple ankle issues, you know, with the high ankle sprain, and then he tried to play through it. And then I think he started really trying to force it through. I think there was a little bit of softness in him where he would hold himself out. I think – I don't know if you guys remember about how – what is it? Martellus, Martellus Bennett has some comments to say about him ever so years ago, <laughs> about him being a little bit on the softer side. I won't say the words he said, but I felt like a little bit after that, once that came into light, he started forcing it to play through, play through injuries, especially in 2021. It's like I got trade behind me. I can't really, you know – uh, be missing time and be like, oh, it's, it's just a strain. I can play through it. Should I? Probably not. So I think that kind of where it dumbs down to. I think now he's more tougher, but especially like his injuries have, have been legit, like the broken foot. So I was like, you play a little football. Let's let's get to the X's and O's now. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this discussion. All right. So you said something that stood out to me. You said that Kyle Shanahan may have wanted someone who's maybe a little off platform, can run a system, but also do other things within his skill set that he doesn't have to necessarily coach into him. And I think that's where Josh McDaniels, he wants a guy that's just going to run his system because that was that was one of the talking points that Scott knows last season with Derek Carr. Just run the play, run the play as I call it. But I just wanted to, I just wanted to give you an opportunity just to give the, the whole picture of Jimmy G. Positives and negatives. What can Raiders fans expect? His strengths and his weaknesses. Oof. I wouldn't. It's a little hard to say too many strengths, but let's see if I can pick. Well, again, reiterating back to the Don't point make everybody about feel so good, Jose. <laughs> here's one thing I would say where I know and, you know, Mo, I used to cover the Raiders, too, like ever so years and I still keep yeah. tabs on them. So I understand mm -hmm. with Derek Carr throughout the years is he wasn't a unifying player. I think that's in my heart of hearts. I think even to the end, he was not a unifying player of the locker room. 
consistently. He probably was in stretches and people, bar- but I wouldn't say he's really, you know, because too many times, you know, he's playing out there. You would see his body language. Like he's over there flicking his arms, like, like blaming the receivers, blaming his offensive line. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So stop that. You'll never see that with Jimmy. You'll probably see him get a little frustrated. This, actually, this past season was the first time he became more animated in his frustrations, but that was more towards Kyle Shanahan for obvious reasons. But anyways, I think that's something you would get more so more unifying player, like the leader point. I, I think as some players that that's that's going to feed off him. That's going to they're going to almost want to play for him, and he's going to not want to let them down. I'm seeing that that this, it's getting a little spicy with him, and so far some of the training camps. So I think that's that's right mm-hmm. there is beautiful. You know, you get that edge, you get that venom going, and that's how it uplifts the competition. So I think that's really the clear cut, the best trait that he has. Um, I think second is getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, he's very adept at that m- more times than not, um, especially if, you know, the coach dials like, hey, here's just a one, two read or an RPO, call this and just let it go. Like he thrives in that in terms of not getting, you know, holding on the ball for too long. And, you know, he doesn't really, yeah, he doesn't really take too many. Eh, no, he does in stretches. That, that's one thing he needs to work on. But I would say that's one thing. He gets the ball out of his hands really quickly more times than not. Um, the weakest part, aside from availability, is throwing deep. You're never going to expect that. And if he does, you're going to do this. <gasps> because it's going to be like, oh, my God, where is it going to? Because I will say this. I'm not a 49ers fan, but when he throws it, I gas. And I'm like, why am I gasping for? Because it's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And it's so funny that that happens to me because it's like he's that's how erratic he is from deep. He, mm-hmm. If he, do, it, he doesn't do it for a reason, it's not because – you know, he can't, he's bad at it. And sometimes it's just, he's no touch, no accuracy. So everything from zero to 10 yards to 15 is where he thrives. He goes past that. I, I think that's where you're going to see the clear cut downgrade from Derek Carr, especially when you're going to utilize a special receiver like Devontae Adams. Yeah, that's helpful. No. And listen, the one thing too, with, with Garoppolo that I look back at and I see the numbers, I watch the film is he goes into those little spells where he has that quick release. He gets the ball out. All the great stuff you're talking about in that offense being very efficient, is at least in Josh McDaniel's offense. But he also has – he gets into those lulls where he turns the ball over. Uh, Derek Carr had a fumble problem. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo gets into these little stretches where it seems like he'll make – he'll try to force a pass – and and turn the ball over. Did you see that increase decrease over the years as he continued as the 49ers quarterback? Uh well this past season was probably his best season that he's had since 2019, especially taking care of the football. If I recall, I had a stat I remember I used to write it down cuz I had to chart it, but like about maybe one two to th- not pr- pretty much half of his picks weren't necessarily like his fault. One of them was his end of halftime just, you know, the heck with it, we're going to oh, yeah. do it. Um a tip so not too many picks were just like bad. I think I remember they were all allocated towards like one game. And I think it was like the Chiefs game and the Falcons game or something like that. Outside of that, he was pretty much taking care of the football. It was pretty good. A nice conservativeness to it with a little spike of aggression. I'd say last year for sure we I saw more of a spike of aggression in his game. So that's the one positive. Like he was actually using his legs a little more. Um, he was actually challenging a little deeper than, than normal. Um, so I think if he continues that trajectory, especially with Jocks and Downs, maybe they do something like that. Now that he has better receivers that maybe that's this thing that he can find consistent about. And maybe it wasn't just a blip from last year because that was something that I was thinking, like, is he just doing this now because he's trying to do his, he's trying to up his value to show to teams. And if you can keep that player, you have a better offense for sure. But I think, like you said, Scott, about with his picks, he does get into those lulls where it's like, where are you looking, Jimmy? Where are you looking? You didn't see that, that Mike linebacker sitting in the hole. Sitting, sitting, sinking ten yards back. Are you serious? So there's, there's going to be a lot of like what we call them. 
a lot of us 49ers fans and media like me, we call it the Jimmy Gimmies. He's going to give you two of those five, two <laughs> five passes gimmies. where it's like, what are you doing? Like he gives into the defense. Either it's it's it's, it's erratic throws to the wide receiver, or it's a pick, or it's like, what was he? What was he thinking? So I, I, I'm really curious of what he's going to do with Josh because there also was a pressure on these quarterbacks to really make the throw to the design receiver because Kyle Shanahan said said so. So I wonder if Josh is going to give him a little more freelance free play. So I think that's going to be telling to see what kind of a player he really is. So there you go. You got another positive and negative out of Jose. The Jimmy Gimmies are the negatives. He takes care of the football. That's a positive. But you mentioned something. You said that he's going to have better receivers in Las Vegas. And there was a little debate between Raider fans and I about how does the Raiders pass catching group compare to the 49ers pass catching group? And I will say, I, I will say it's about even simply because, you know, when Jimmy, when George Kittle is healthy, you have an all pro tight end. Part of that is his pass catching part of it is his pass blocking. But Brendan, now you can improve every year with the San, in San Francisco. I saw his numbers. Debo is not a number one wide receiver per se. He's a dynamic weapon more so. So he had some weapons in San Francisco, but do you think that his, he will elevate his game with arguably the top wide receiver in the game, Devontae Adams being on the field. You got Hunter Renfro, Michael Mayer they drafted, Jacoby Myers they signed, who knows Josh McDaniel's system. Do you think it's a matter of Jimmy didn't, I guess, push the ball down the field, wasn't as aggressive throughout his 49er tenure, and he could be more aggressive now with a top-tier wide receiver, and he'll get the higher numbers? Because he doesn't have a 4,000-yard season under his belt yet. And that was one of the things I said. Like, if the Raiders fall behind with their defense, is he capable of bringing this team back with his arm? Mm -hmm. So I'll leave that to you to answer that question. Yeah, I think you always have that possibility, right? You have a special receiver like Devontae Adams that can always bring a best out of a quarterback. Maybe it does uplift his ceiling and challenges to throw deep more. I feel like even though like as much as I'm down on him on his deep ball, I feel like you still have to take those shots here and here and there. Um, I think the issue with me about him was he doesn't see it. His vision on the field is so bad, too, as well on top of like his deep ball throwing. It's like either he doesn't see it, he sees it too late. And then he can't deliver it. So you're looking at three factors that need to align for him to do it. One, he needs to see it. Two, he needs to be on time. And three, he actually has to deliver it fairly well. Because I'm still having visions of 2020, 2021, Thursday night against the Tennessee Titans, where he has Kyle Juszczyk wide open, three, 34 yards deep, completely airmails it. And there was not a single receiver like within 10 yards of him. So it's, it's kind of wondering, like even though a receiver can get open, can he deliver it? That's why I thought the 49ers skill set of players all around, like the Debo's, the Ayuk's, and the Kittles worked well from him because those are guys that we call over here the Yak Brothers. You know, just dump it deep. I mean, dump it to the receivers, let them work, let them boost up his yardage, let them let, and then the idea is also that you would try a challenge deep, but he just it's it's the fact that he doesn't take it. I think if anything, that's the worst of all, is that not only that he's not necessarily skilled at that. He doesn't take too many of those chances. That gets a little frustrating. And I think I recall that being a problem with Derek Carr as well, sometimes going deep. It's like, Derek, you have the arm. Why aren't you doing it? It's not like you have an excuse to Jimmy. So I feel like because Jimmy's going to be in a better system, better receiver, he might just be like, I, I got this. We're going to have to take those chances. So I think Hunter Renfro, Jacoby Myers with those underneath players will be perfect for him and maybe build up his confidence to take those shots to Devontae since he can create separation and he'll be pretty much fielding punts for Jimmy because he's going to be <laughs> wide open on all his shake routes and everything. Yeah, it's interesting because I think with with him coming in to replace Derek Carr and really what we consider to be a bridge quarterback, right, until the Raiders can figure out what they're going to do down the line 
for a franchise guy that they want to put money and and years behind is that in some ways they're very similar and in some ways very different. And I know I'm talking about play on the field, but demeanor, that kind of laid back demeanor. Derek Carr was a little more excitable, obviously, but leadership wise, different type of guys. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But but Jose, I, I appreciate it. What's your gut tell you though on him being rejoined with Josh McDaniels, just top line here. What do you think is going to happen? You think Jimmy G stays on the field, number one? And number two, how do you think he'll deal in that offense? I can't take – I can't bet on him. You're like, they're in Vegas, right? I wouldn't take the bets on him staying healthy all full seasons because the odds are definitely against him. He's only done it once. Yes. He's only done it once. I mean, what's make what's going to make me feel confident he does it now, especially behind a worse offensive line than the 49ers? That's crazy. So I think – I think – it's kind of hard to tell because how's the 49ers – I mean, excuse me, how the Raiders running back situation going to be with Josh Jacobs and like mm. that? Because obviously I know I see a lot of like Mogus and the people and other people like he has a good defense. It's like, yeah, but he also had a great running game. I took the edge off him. Yeah. So there was a lot of ghost motion. Does McDaniels implement that a ton more now to get these players wide open? Because everything was so wide open for Jimmy. And even when they were, he wouldn't hit them. So I think you'll see – and again, Jimmy's coming off a high-level season. Like last year I was like, Okay, he's he's been pretty he's been solid. I had nothing negative to say about him at all last year. Um, but this year it's gonna be, you know, now you're getting paid more than you were last year. You're gonna be demanded to be available, you're gonna be demanded to make those shots to Devontae Adams. Cause mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately what I'm fearful about is how his connection with Devontae Adams. Because you bring in a guy who doesn't have an arm, who doesn't take too many shots deep, and that's kind of gonna almost cap Adams in a way, which will force you to throw deep and maybe get you more turnovers on Garoppolo since a lot of times the ball will just flutter and stay in the air for a long time. So I think it's really going to be capable on how you get the ball out of his hands quickly with Hunter Renfro, with the Jacoby Myers and such, and then see how you incorporate the run game and then Devontae Adams. And I think I think the offense could be sufficient. I just don't see them being lethal or dangerous. It's probably be a, like a, if I were to put like a cumulative – in terms of like points per game, yards, offense, I feel like it's going to look like an 18 to 20 almost a little bit. And again, if mm. the offensive line really is not getting overlooked, I mean, it's not getting talked about as much of an issue with Garoppolo more so because it hasn't really changed from last year. And last year was bad. So, I mean, this year you're expecting a guy who's almost pretty much is a statue um, to sit <laughs> there. It's going to be a hard demand for him. It will be. But, uh, Jose, we appreciate you being on. And giving us both sides of the story here because you saw it unfold. You covered it all. Make sure you follow Jose on the X or Twitter, whatever the heck you want to call it, uh, at J Sanchez FN. J Sanchez FN. Man, thanks again. We'll catch up with you uh, down the line. I know the Raiders and 49ers got the preseason game coming up here in a few days, uh, but uh, we'll check in with you again, I'm sure. Yeah, right. I appreciate you, Scott. And make sure you keep Mo in check with his food takes, man. This guy's getting way too out of line. It's infuriating. Oh, Almost have to block uh, him the other night. Yeah. Wait. Did you see? <laughs> did you see our hot dog debate too? With the ketchup? no, is the hot yeah, dog no. a sandwich? You guys talking about that? Not as that's a good. That's another one. We'll get into that one. But but here's the deal. As I said, nobody over thirteen puts ketchup on a hot dog. Wait, 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 Scott. Don't 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 say it, Jose. Do you put ketchup on your hot dog? Yes or no? I would prefer not to, but I wouldn't mind it. My preference is no. <laughs> he, he's playing right in the middle. There. I love Jose. See, he knows how to play the game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, like ultimately, if I, he's very good. I can do it, but here's the thing. I, I like to do it like almost like the way that we call it over here, street dogs, where it's yes. a bunch of onions and peppers, a little bit of mayonnaise, a little bit of hot sauce. Boom. Yes, absolutely. Okay, See, I, I, I can get with that. 
That's see, but you're not opposed knows. to putting ketchup on your hot dog, right? This is I'm not, not like opposed. I just would prefer not to because the little sweetness kind of bothers me. See, okay, see it doesn't, he it doesn't sweetness. go. See, he's not. But see, he's not saying you got to be, you know, 10 or under to put ketchup on your hot dog. He's I said 13, not 10. For his taste buds. Let's be fair. 13, not 10. The last time there was a food take with age with Mo, Mo said you have to be a certain age and stop eating cereal. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Oh, my hey, God. Hey, hey, hey. Actually, actually, I said if you're drinking chocolate milk over the age of 13, chocolate. you know, you need to reevaluate things in your life because chocolate think, milk is for kids. I think there was one time, remember, I used to host a pod with our boy Matt Holder, and you said, if you're eating cereal at 18 years old, you need to re you said something about you need to stop. And I was like, I still eat cereal, bro. What's up? Hey, I, I, I love Apple Jacks. I'm just saying, I, I still eat Apple Jacks to this day. Maybe just go on a tangent as usual. Oh boy, yeah. we we could go down a big big rat hole here with Mo and food stuff. So Jose, I'll watch I'll watch him though. We'll keep him in check, and our listeners usually do too. There's a few small Please. thing that always agree with them, but the rest of them are you know they're 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 keeping them honest. You're all this guy haters. can get away with what he wants. <laughs> You're all haters. All right, Jose, so. uh, we appreciate you, man. Good luck this season. We'll talk to you on down the line. Much right, appreciated, guys. my guy. Appreciate you having me on, Mo. Catch you around. All right. <laughs> All right, there you go. Jose Sanchez uh, from SI.com covers the 49ers. Well, Mo, the biggest thing and probably my favorite part of that whole interview was the Jimmy Gimme thing. I have to say it. I know it's a negative thing. Yeah. But, you know, that's what I, you I love when catchphrases. You, and he gave us one. He gave us a catchphrase that I don't think anybody in Raider Nation has used any, yet. But uh, nope, we'll, we'll call them Jimmy Gimmies when they're, when, they're, when they're deserved. If they're not deserved, we won't. If it's tipped off somebody's hand, that's not a Jimmy Gimme. Right? I mean, that's just the way. Got to give credit to Jose when it happens, too. He will right. be tagged. After every interception, that's, that's Jimmy G's fault. Jose will be tagged. He will just be. putting it out there. He will be. All right. <laughs> we are tagging out here just for a few minutes. We're going to take our final break on this edition of Silver and Black today. When we come back, it's your time. That's right. It's our favorite time of the week. It is Raider Nation Mailbag, where Mo and I attempt to answer your questions to your liking, which happens sometimes, sometimes doesn't happen. But either way, we're taking them, and we appreciate it. You can always mail us at mail at silverandblacktoday.com, or you can comment on the YouTube channel in the comments, or hit us up on Twitter. It is Mo Moton, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. I am at LV Gully, the show, SNB Today, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back. It is the home stretch here on Silver and Black Today. You're listening to us one of two ways, actually one of three ways. One is on the bet in Las Vegas. Thanks for getting up early on the Sunday morning with us. Or you're listening to us on our Odyssey original podcast, which we appreciate that. Make sure you subscribe and get it wherever you get your audio. Or you're watching us on YouTube and you're going to hit subscription and notifications there. But this is the home stretch. We're closing out this show as we always do on Thursdays with our mailbag. You are with Scott Colbranson. I'm your host along with my co-host, that is Mr. Mo Moten. He's the national senior NFL writer over Bleacher Report. Follow him on Twitter, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. I am at L-V Gully. Okay, just a couple pieces of mail today, Mo. People are watching training camp. They're getting excited. This this one comes uh, to from a listener we had not heard from before. Uh, this is from Scott McDowell, and Scott McDowell is up in Canada. He didn't tell me where in Canada, eh? But he is up in Canada, the Great White North, or America's hat, as we call it. Um, and so want to uh, get to it. it says, okay, Scott and Mo, love your show. Listen to every episode. I may be in the minority, but I love what Ziegler has done with most of the contracts. 
Last year, we bet big on players, but didn't, it didn't work out, so they had to pivot. Don't fault him. He had to go for it with a playoff team in 2021. Now we have competition at various levels of the team on cheap contracts with some of our dead weight contracts, i.e. Chandler Jones, coming off the books next year. While I agree how they handled Jacobs and not overpaying him long term, I don't like to see that we still have a 33-year-old slow Brandon Bolden at $2.8 million still on the roster. Would have been great to open that money up for Jacobs or another free agent. Also, face on signing at 2.2 doesn't make sense. Uh, with better options in Shelly and Long. And next up, Brandon Face, I got injured yesterday at camp. Um, and what do you think about significant cut and cap saving options so we can sign a couple of these other free agents? Thanks. Keep up the work. Scott in Canada. Scott, thanks for writing to us internationally. We appreciate that. Mo, uh, he's talking about the contracts here, and he has praise for how the team has handled it. We talked about the business side of it. We understand what the Raiders are doing there. But when you look at his point about Brandon Bolden, $2.8 million, you look at Faison at $2.2 million, um, and you start to think about what are guys we saw O.J. Howard released. You know, they're, they're, st- they're starting to look at guys and find out after a few, few days who they like and who they don't. But what are some roster options, perhaps, for them as we roll through camp if they need to bring in some free agents in spots to strengthen this team? And Scott, that's a good email, by the way. While, while he's in the minority, I will say that he made a point that I've made previously that I understand Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels going forward and, and trying to contend last year because Raiders were just coming off of a playoff year. I know some people will say it wasn't a legit playoff year because a lot of things had to happen for Raiders to get in. But nonetheless, the team did go to the playoffs, and then they went out and they got Devontae Adams, and then they went out and signed Chandler Jones. When you make those moves, you have to go for it. So I I, I get that. And, and as I said on Twitter recently, it didn't work, so they had to pivot. So that's why we're in a rebuild period right now. So Scott is very much on point with that uh, part of his email. Well, I will answer to him and say, what can the Raiders do to clear up some space? I believe they could still restructure Colton Miller's contract and save $8.8 million. I'm looking at a lot of the deals here on over the cap. And there aren't a lot of cut savings out there unless you're cutting Andre James for 6.5 million. I don't think that's going to happen because it seems clear that he's going to be the starting center in the upcoming season. There were talks that maybe Dylan Parr will move over to center. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. Now things could change before week one, but he's at 6.5 million. If they wanted to move on from him, just straight cut him. I think he could be a trade option simply because he's a starting center in his league. So if the Raiders wanted to, again, move Parham to the pivot, middle of that offensive line, you could trade Andre James for for a late-round draft pick because centers don't have a lot of value. The other thing you have to keep in mind is that Josh Jacobs' $10 million is counted on over the cap. So if you're looking at the Raiders' cap space on over the cap, just understand that Josh Josh uh, Jacobs' $10.1 million is accounted for there. Now, if they decide to trade Josh Jacobs, and I know a lot of fans don't want to hear this, but if they do decide <laughs> to trade Josh Jacobs, that basically comes off their books for sites that are counting that to $10.1 million against the Raiders' cash space this year. So that is a possibility. Now, there was a report coming out recently that the Raiders are open to resuming talks with Josh Jacobs. Maybe he gets a Saquon Barkley-type deal where the Raiders offer him some incentives. Uh, we'll see if Josh Jacobs wants that type of deal because, remember, with him, it was about security, as he tweeted or set on X. So he wants the years. I don't know if a Saquon Barkley deal is going to bring him back, but it is an option. They can trade Josh Jacobs. They can move on from Andre James, and they can restructure Colton Miller's contract for $8.8 million. 
There you go. See, Scott, you you asked and Mo delivered. Phenomenal. But for the we people, man. <laughs> we appreciate, of course, uh, getting, I love when we get, e not that I don't love getting emails from everybody here in the States, but when we get the international ones, you know, you just never know who's listening, right? And, <laughs> and to me, that is really cool uh, as well. Uh, the other thing is, we, 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 as we look at the podcast, by the way, uh, is the amount I told, I texted Mo earlier today about the fact that we have such a massive number of folks who listen to the show. We know this from downloads, right? So from people who download the show and listen to it every time it comes out. Um, we have a massive following in both Los Angeles. The biggest of all of our listeners are in Los Angeles and also in the Bay Area, of course. It's not a surprise, especially since the Raiders really aren't on the radio up there anymore. And so, so to get Raider content, you have to listen to it via podcast or, or online. And so uh, not surprising that we're there as well, of course, as Las Vegas. And guess what, Mo? And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give this all to you. Guess what, what city, you ready? What city ranked fifth as far as the, the biggest listeners of our show? New York City. New York. Absolutely. There you go. So all My those, people. All those ladies seeing you walking down the street as Midtown Mo, they're downloading the show. They're, 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 they're loving it. But anyway, but thanks to all of you guys. As we get ready for another season, we are just excited because we got through the doldrums, which is the last couple months, and now we're, we're getting geared up, so we're really excited. And, of course, this show you heard Baldy on. Uh, and if you're on the radio, it's the first time you heard also the Fitz interview we had on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to keep doing that and bringing you good stuff and good conversation. All right, Mo, let's get to one more piece of mail before we end the show. This is from our good friend Gary Harkinreader because it's not a show without a Gary email. Uh, and he's always got good stuff, so you, you got to appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and he says uh, he, wa he wants us, he wants us to go through, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but then I'll get to his question a little bit, which is the subordinate coaches, so position coaches. And you've mentioned a couple of them, and he said, what are their roles, what are their jobs, how do they fit in the scheme, and how much more difficult is it for players to learn the scheme? So, so a couple of questions there, but number one is position coaches. You talked about a couple that are going to be, I think, under the gun on the defense when looking at the defensive backs coach, defensive line coach, when you look at some of the offensive coaches as well, even though Josh McDaniels runs the show there. When you look at those those coaches and what they have to do with these players, um, how difficult of a job do they have when you talk about position coaches? I'm not a position coach, but I would imagine it's a difficult job because you're working as a position coach, you're working directly with certain players. So you're in charge of developing their skill set, especially the young guys. So if you're Chris, Chris Ash, who's the defensive backs coach, you're working directly with the guys like Trayvon Merrick to develop their early skills. With Chris Smith the second, who they just drafted in the fifth round, with Corian Bennett, who they just drafted in the fourth round, you're in charge basically of their early development. So if those guys aren't developing the way they should, they're looking at the defensive backs coach. They're looking at the cornerbacks coach. Jason Simmons, as I said in our previous show, is the defensive passing game coordinator. So if the Raiders aren't good at stopping the pass or through the air and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson are all dicing them up for 300 plus yards, guess who's in trouble? That's Jason Simmons. But of course, he has to have the, the collaborative effort of also the front line. So it goes back to the defensive line coach. I think Leonard came over from uh, the Ravens. 
and Rob, Rob Leonard, that is, coming over from the Ravens to the Raiders to coach up their defensive line, uh, he has to have his guys, the young guys, generate a pass rush. Now, that's hard to do right now with Byron Young, Tyree Wilson, and Neil Farrell Jr. on injured list, either an NFI list or the pup list. But when you're a young player, your position coach is the go-to guy because that that coach is working directly with you in, Every in helping day. develop there's, your there's skill set. Very and, close relationship. You know, Right. Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, of course, are also working with them, but they're they're developed veterans. They're established vets. They pretty much know what they're doing. They can always learn and expand their game and learn new things. But for a position coach, the young development of that young talent is super important. If those guys don't develop, that's when those position coaches get in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. All right. There you go, Gary. Thank you for your question. We do have one more, and it is another international question, Mo. Can you believe this? This time, like Daniel, Daniel Cal... Kalaswicz, excuse me, Kalaswicz, I'm going to get it right. I think it's a Polish name. He's in Germany, though. Uh, so if I butchered your name, Daniel, I apologize. Uh, just send me a note with a phonetic spelling, and I promise I will correct it. But he says, hey, guys, it's me again. First, thanks for picking up my question. Uh, I really appreciate it and enjoy your show every week. And it's so much more balanced, focusing on content, facts, and quality, including food talk. No, he didn't say quality food talk. He just said food talk. Uh, keep, keep doing it. My question, of course, nobody is perfect, but as McDaniels and Ziegler obviously acknowledged that a rebuild is necessary, what would you say was their biggest mistake so far, if any? The way Carr was released, certain draft picks, free agents, or something scheme-related. Maybe hiring Patrick Graham. Looking forward to your thoughts. Best regards from Germany, Daniel. Daniel, thank you for the question. Um, and Mo, I think you know, there's a lot. We we talked about the the extension. I I thought the biggest the biggest mistake from a from a contract situation last year was actually not Derek Carr. Right? They had an easy out with him. With the way they handled it at the end, we could debate about. But I thought it was the Darren Waller contract. You and I last July were talking about how they shouldn't do anything with Darren Waller for another year to see how he pans out. And what did they do? They gave him a contract, and then they ended up trading him late and they don't get as much in return as they probably could have. So to me, that was one of the biggest mistakes. But as we mentioned earlier, talking uh, to, to Jose in the last segment about the fact that, you know, they thought they were on the cusp of being another playoff team again. So they went all in, but I, I think it's the Waller contract. You have coaching. We could go on and on about coaching. We'll talk about it at some point before the season starts. But to me, that was the biggest player personnel issue. I have to say it's a Derek Carr contract situation. So because I understand they would, they, there was a give and take with this contract. If they had it, not that they had to give them no contract clause, no trade clause, but I'm sure in negotiations, Derek says, "Look, I you know I've been in trade room in the trade room for the past few years. Give me a no trade clause so that it will put all that to bed." And I'm sure that was part of the discussions. But anytime you have to just outright cut a quarterback and not get anything for it, that's a disaster. <laughs> I'm sorry, and I know Ross Tucker said it a week ago, and people were, you know, kind of pushed back on Ross Tucker about what he said about the Raiders and their handling of contracts. Mm -hmm. But there's no way you cut a starting quarterback in this league. No matter how you feel about Derek Carr, how good or how bad he is, he is a starter in this league, and starting quarterbacks have value. And you're telling me that you couldn't get anything but cap space for a quarterback that, you know, in, in the athletic, he was ranked 14th, right? A quarterback 14th. like that, you should be able to get at least. Yeah, you should be. You should be able to get at least a second round pick for a quarterback 
of that caliber and for them to have to cut him because they gave him no track no trade clause and then he signs with the saints after meeting with them it just to me it's just a kick in the mid that's fair it's like you 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 just can't you just can't let a quarterback just walk i know you get the cap space back but you got to get a draft pick for your starting quarterback and he didn't do that yeah that's fair i also think that they they it's sort of like had the biggest buyer remorse in Raider history, right? Which is they came in, they they felt they were closer to being a playoff team. They could have done something last off the last off season, right? They could have moved him to your point about for a draft pick at some point, um, and and had an opportunity to do that, even though he just had that year left on his contract without the extension. But they could have done a sign and trade or something like that. So so I buy that. I get that. I just think the Waller thing too. I mean, yes, quarterback. In listening to your argument for that one, it's hard to argue against it because it is the most valuable position on the field. So, so there you go, Daniel. I hope that that helped you uh, as well. So there you go. Another <laughs> mailbag segment ends with Mo dropping some knowledge, which I love and appreciate, of course, as always. And we appreciate all of you guys for being with us. And again, if you want to be part of the mailbag show, just uh, type in your email, mail at silverandblacktoday.com. That's mail at silverandblacktoday.com. Send it to us, and we will get it on there. You can also share it with us on Twitter and uh, on the YouTube channel. You can leave it in the comments. We will find it there as well amongst all the other kind of crazy stuff that is put on YouTube because YouTube comments are special along with some tweets, but <laughs> they're funny. Yeah, um, I was going to say, or you could just slide your questions into my DMs. I, I, I you know, it, If you want to slide anything else in there, just be mindful that I may or may not respond to it, but... I'll, I'll answer. I'll say, look, we'll take your question on the show. Everything else stays between you and me. <laughs> All right. Just put it out there. Everything else that you send DMs doesn't make it to the show. Just the oh, question. Boy. Anything else you want to say in there? Just between you and me, you and I. Yeah. Just we, don't we, try to make any weird bets in the DMs or anything like that. That would not be good. Oh, my we got to We got to keep. Here we go. We got to keep. No, we got to keep it clean, right? I mean, Mo is a Mo is an upstanding young gentleman. So if you're going to send him, if you're interested in Mo, it's okay. Just send him a nice note, and you can connect. But you don't have to send anything crazy. All right. Like that time Cardi B sent him a picture. I don't even want to talk about it because she doesn't actually Scott, sing. Gonna... Did you see this? Did you see what happened with her in Vegas? I, I didn't. Oh, he did. So she's oh, I on did. Stage. Actually, she threw a mic. She threw a mic, right? She threw a mic. She's on on stage, and they're calling for people to throw water at her. So people throw water at her, and then she gets mad because somebody hit her in the face, I guess. And then she threw their microphone at him. But then she threw her microphone at him, and she was still singing. <laughs> so she was obviously playing yeah. to a loop. Yep. So That's the world we live in today. By the way, Cardi B is from the Bronx, so yes. that's the type of reaction you're going to get from a Bronx woman. See, I linked it. That's, what I, that's why I said, because she's in your DMs. You guys are in the same spot. Boy, oh boy. Avocado smoothie with Cardi B and Mo Moten. Would that not be a great I think show? That would, I think that show. See, we're thinking the same thing. That would be a great show. Cardi B, if you're listening to the show for whatever reason, I don't know why you would be, but if you are. <laughs> you and me, avocado smoothie, we could talk about it. It will do big numbers. Big yes. Numbers. There you go. All right. Well, Mo, uh, we will talk to you again on Tuesday, if not before. Also... Uh, as you know, we introduced on Wednesday uh, the Silver and Black Blitz. That's right. We're doing a little more content. It's me the first couple times you heard me yesterday. Now you heard, you're going to hear me tomorrow doing another quick little daily thing. 
and then sometimes Mo will do. When Mo's got the time and he feels the, he's like got something to say, he will also do a silver and black blitz, which is basically just a short show, like a 10 minute type show that we do. But we want to give you more content because, you know, we just, we see how well the show's doing. It's all because of you. So we feel obligated to do that. And plus we got a lot to say and it doesn't always necessarily take the hour we use for the long form show. So I'm excited about that. And uh, that'll be something fun for the season as we move up. And so you might hear from Mo before Tuesday. Who knows? If not, we'll be back Tuesday. Mo, what do you got coming up on Bleacher Report and Sports Not uh, the remainder of the week? Bleacher Report, I'll be covering training camp notes. If anything happens, the Raiders had their first padded practice on Tuesday. So when the pads go on, you know, there are some chippiness, as Jose mentioned. Max Crosby and Jimmy Garoppolo got into it. So I'm sure if, if there's a fight that breaks out, I'll be covering that. And over on Sports Night, I'll, I'll leave it up to surprise. I like to surprise Ooh. the people when it comes to my Sports Night columns because sometimes I come up with something. I just have an epiphany in the middle of the day, and I go, you know what? Someone <laughs> someone had something to say on Twitter. I'm going to turn that into a column. So a lot of you fans out there who respond to me on Twitter just know that it could turn into a column. So I want to thank the people out there who feed me content for sportsnot.com. Uh, you know, and that's it's so true, though, because I had that, too, with the social media thing I talked about from, from Raider Ramble, which was I had an interaction with somebody. It just triggered a point with me. I'm like, this is just like arguing about politics. Mm -hmm. So, uh, absolutely. So I look forward to that. Make sure you follow Mo, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N on Twitter. I am at LV Gully. The show is SNB Today. Special thanks, as always, to our crack producer. No, he's not on crack. He's crack producer. That means good. Like he can do anything. Okay. Come on, Mo. I saw <laughs> I your eyebrows you're gonna go. You're going to have to clarify that, Scott. I, But that's what I say. He's not. But anyway, Mike Robier is a great dude. And before Mo starts derailing awesome. more of my jokes, I'm going to get off the air. So we don't get in any trouble. Mike's anyway, not on crack, by the way. Just saying. He's not on crack. No, he's a crack producer. That doesn't mean he sells crack either, by the way. No, he's a crack producer. <laughs> anyway, Mike Robier is a master producer. There we go. Yes. Can't get in trouble with that, hopefully. Uh, anyway, but thanks to him. Thanks to all of you for being with us. For Mo Moten, I am Scott Colbrantz, and this has been Silver and Black Today. We will talk to you next time. Take care.